Good morning, Hope Reform Baptist Church. Today is the, uh, well, th- this week at least marks the 506th annual uh, anniversary since Martin Luther pinned uh, very rudely and abruptly his, his protest or his, uh, his critique against the, uh, the Catholic Church, his own church at the time in Wittenberg in Germany, and uh, which kick-started the momentous growth and movement that we've come to know as his, his historical study as the Protestant Reformation, which was no less than the rediscovery and republication of the gospel of God's own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, first and foremost, happy Lord's Day. It's Jesus' day, the day that he resurrected. 2,000 and something years, anniversary of that grand day. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday, but also happy Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day. We stand in the rich heritage and the historical legacy and tradition of teaching the Word of God as it has been understood by, uh, by teachers and theologians in and through the, the tremendous work of, uh, of God's own work in the Reformation. And, and in light of the Reformation, we're going to study this morning or, or think uh, uh, together about the unstoppable power of the Word of God. The, the, the Reformation has, has been uh, uh, summarized uh, summarized by, by uh, uh, generations later, and you've probably heard this if you're at all familiar with sort of Reformed Protestant the, uh, uh, theology. You'll be familiar with the five solas, the, the, the Latin phrases that have been taken as, as catchphrases for those most important things that came to, to identify and characterize the Reformation teaching. And, and it was these things that we are saved or justified by God's grace alone. It is not God's grace plus a little bit of our merit earned by but God's grace alone through faith alone. That is that the instrument that we exercise to enter into God's grace of salvation is faith alone. Not faith in baptism, not faith in giving, not faith in good works, not faith in confessing the right amount of creeds and catechisms. Faith alone brings a sinner into the status of justified before God. And that is because the the third solar says that we are justified by Christ alone. Our faith is in Christ alone, according to the testimony of Scripture alone, towards and upward to the glory of God alone. These five solas, of course, have been, uh, are the, the uh, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, sola scriptura, and soli deo gloria. All things, all salvation, renounced to the glory of God alone. But as we study not just the Reformation theology... But the Reformation history, to, to study the Reformation at all, now you can go and get biographies on Luther and Calvin and Swingley and John Knox and all sorts of historical detailings, and what you'll find is that those books are no less than simply studying the unstoppable power of the Word of God. To study the Reformation history is to study the Word of God gaining momentum in an unstoppable way. In fact, to study church history is basically just studying the momentum of the Word of God. Or, or to study, I'll even go this far, since church history is world history, the church is what God is doing in the world, saving people unto himself, world history is nothing less than the study of God's word gleaning a a gathering and creating a people and an eternal kingdom. Studying and knowing the unstoppable power of the word of God is what we must be about as Christians. Now, in in 1928, there was a man by the name, I'll give you his name, 
name was Alexander Fleming, and, and he was a, a scientist and a pharmacologist, and he went on a holiday, a vacation, two weeks, and now normally, normally mold is quite a problem, right? Any, any house moms who are preparing kids' lunches and just are annoyed to find mold growing uh, and, and, and overtaking the kids' lunchbox at the bottom of the bag that was not put on the kitchen sink like you've tried to teach them week in and week out. And mold is usually an inconvenience. Well, th this particular pharmacologist and, and uh, scientist had come home from a, a two-week uh, vacation, and he comes to his laboratory where he is studying the, the, the growth and life and, and life cycle and habits of Staphylococcus. That's all nerd speak to most of us. Uh, I know, I've got a medical background, so this is fun to me. But what he found is that mold, mold had grown in his laboratory specimens while he had been away. An enormous inconvenience. But before he quickly washed it all down the sink to start again, he looked at it underneath the microscope, and what he found was, in, was immensely important for human history. What he found was a small growing uh, 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 enzyme and, and, and a, uh, uh, an object within that, 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 that mold, which has been come to known as penicillin. Again, maybe completely irrelevant for you because you're just not aware of, of how blessed word that is. Penicillin was the beginning of the great invention that we know as antibiotics. It was, it was 1928 and then into the 40s that finally began to unleash onto the world this enormously powerful thing called antibiotics so that when you go to the toilet and you scratch yourself on a little nail on the outhouse, you don't have to start planning your funeral. We can actually kill, anti we can kill bacteria inside of you so that when your wife has a child and she seems to have a fever two days after the birth, you don't have to start planning your second wedding and, of course, her funeral, right? It's not such, such a deal anymore that the mere sickness and scratches and small infections will, will inevitably lead to death because of this serendipitous, fortuitous, accidental discovery of penicillin which changed the world. Well, so it is that you might look at the Word of God this, this collection of letters and books, some written by kings, no doubt, but, but you know, ancient kings uh, and, and, and shepherds and, and poor men and, and, and fishermen. And the, the, it's just all sort of culminating in this, this story of, a, of an Israeli guy who sort of took on the Roman government and got his due and was crucified publicly, likely naked and then thrown in a grave. And then his followers sort of uh, start trying to tell the story of his, his rising back. And then a few of their letters were recorded to history. And there it stands in a nice, nice leather-bound English translation. And we might look at it as, as if it's just like mold growing fortuitously, accidentally, and irrelevantly in a light, little tiny petri dish. But what we have in the Word of God is no less than his own power breaking out into human history and changing everything it touches, leaving the world completely transformed. That's the Word of God, an unstoppable power in our world because of the grace and power of God. This book has been invested with God's power, and it was the, it was the Jewish leaders of the first generation of the church, uh, of, the, of the disciples and the apostles who learned this. You remember, remember what they did? They, they killed Jesus those Jewish leaders. They, they killed Jesus, and what did he do? Well, killing the Messiah is just like trying to dispose of TNT by lighting it on fire. 
He exploded out of the grave. And 2 Timothy tells us he brought immortality and life to light through the gospel. That's what Jesus did. So nice try, number one. Unstoppable power of the word of God incarnate. And then they, 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 they arrested, didn't they? They threatened and they arrested those early disciples. And we hear this in, in Acts chapter 4. that they, they, uh, Acts chapter uh, uh, 3, they spread this lie about them. <clears throat> Sorry, chapter 4. And they start to slander the, the Christians and they, they threaten them a bit. And then what happens? Uh, well, they arrested the disciples and put them in custody until the next day. And then an angel came and got them out again. Thank you, God. Uh, but as they went and started preaching, many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. There's something about the preaching of the gospel that God has so invested it with his own infinite divine power that it is the explosion of life. And they found this. The Jews had tried to, tried to stop the growth of the gospel. And it was like the, the early New Zealand settlers who, who had found nothing fun in New Zealand to do. Very understandable. Locals uninteresting. Rugby pathetic. And so they've, they've, they've rocked up and they we need hunting to do. That's what we need to do. And so they introduced just a, just a few dozen rabbits to hunt, didn't they? And those rabbits exploded exponentially in a plague. They, they multiplied. And now it would have done no good to then gather up all of the original bunnies and sit them down and shoot them all. Or to tell them, no more of this, it's, it's getting quite out of hand. Once those rabbits are loosed in the wild without a natural predator, they are bonkers. They're gone. The, the numbers are uncontrolled. And so it was that the Jews found these, Israel, these disciples. They brought them in. They gave them a good flogging, a whipping, a beating, a, a threatening, and sent them back out. But the damage was done. The, the TNT was lit. The light was shining. The, the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ had already started to explode. It says every day then, after they'd threatened them and beat them, then every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And then what happened? Of course, what happened? The word of God, we're told in chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And even a great number of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is how Luke, by the teaching of Paul, summarizes the growth of the gospel. The word of God increased mightily. This is the history of the world. God is increasing his word in the world because it is invested with the unstoppable power of God. And then... Then the word of God, through the mouth of those weak, uh, frail disciples, it got to Antioch in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. It got there, and, and uh, in Acts 13, uh, verse 44, uh, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Well, the Jews get jealous. They get annoyed. They start throwing out slanders and threats and, 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 and uh, gossip or, or, uh, to, to take down the reputation of the messengers of the gospel. But the word of the Lord, we're told, the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Asia Minor had met with the unstoppable power of the word of God. And then the Ephesian uh, oligarchs and the Athenian Areopagites had the exact same thing. They tried to stop the message through their mocking and their arresting of the messengers. And what happened? Some of their own number were then converted. 
The Ephesians brought about spiritual, demonic, financial, political opposition to the message. And what does verse 20 tell us in Acts 19? The word of God increased and continued to prevail mightily. God's word. Be sure of this. God's word is invested with his unstoppable, immutable, infallible power. Such is the word of God. Rome found this out as well. It was their turn. They had an unstoppable army. Rome is known to historians by this, as this phrase that people spoke of, the unstoppable army of, of Rome. And so they were. Nothing could stop them. Nothing could take them down. They were unstoppable. But they met with the unstoppable power of the word of God. They, they first arrested Paul and brought him. This was idiotic. They brought Paul, like, like bringing a bull into a china shop to try and, to try and make a, a, a good on all of the damages that had already been done. They lock Paul in Rome, in the capital city of the empire, where all of the nations and languages and economies and trades and experts and, and philosophers, they're all, they're all converging on Rome, doing their business. And there's him in the heart of the beast, preaching the gospel for two years under house arrest. He goes and preaches to Nero, and then the mistake of Nero's life. Beast as he was, a, a tool in the hand of the devil. This was his mistake, that in his opposition to the gospel, he let Paul go. He let Paul, this limping, monobrow, unattractive, 40-something-year-old single guy, he let him go, and he brought down the powers that be. He went out. And again, he wrote in 2 Timothy 8, 9, this is our, this is our passage this morning, or, or at least the, the springboard. We're not doing line-by-line line exegesis this morning. We're doing recalling the great works of God through history is what we're doing. And in 2 Timothy 8 and 9, we see that Paul uh, was at the end of his life. 2 Timothy is after he's been arrested a second time. Nero trying to undo the idiocy of letting Paul the apostle go. He arrests him again. He brings him to Rome, and this time he's, he's not allowed to live in the city center and rent an apartment. This time he's thrown into a dank stone cell, chained up, away from many others. Every letter that he sends, carefully checked to make sure he's not planning some kind of escape route. And in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8 and 9, he says this to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember what happens when the powers of the world try to destroy God's word? It always explodes in resurrection power. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Amen? He's saying, I know I'm in chains. I'm right here. They've given me just a few inches of movement to be able to pen my letters, a, a small little piece of light. But guess what? The Word of God is its own light. The Word of God, though its ministers are chained up, though its members are butchered and killed in body bags and on crosses and thrown from buildings, the Word of God itself is unkillable, indestructible, unstoppable, always gaining momentum and not bound or hindered whatsoever. This is the Word of God. What we often come to and, and get bored with, what, what we often just think so lowly about this word of God is his power in the world to explode out his saving grace and the building of his kingdom. Now, the word of God is never, 
never on the ropes. You might watch a, a fighter. Think of maybe the great Tyson or your own favorite. And, and he may be still for a time. The, the Word of God may seem to be somewhat historically ceasing in its, in its growth or exponential explosion. Yeah, the, the Word of God might be still for a few moments or generations, but be sure it's never on the ropes asking that the coach throw in the, red, the, the white towel. It is always just winding up for the biggest uppercut, for the biggest liver hit, for the biggest right hook that you've ever seen. And so it was in the life and the ministry of Martin Luther. Martin Luther in the 1500s, he was a teacher of the Word of God. He he didn't start out like that. (coughs) He was, in fact, just a, a poor son of a poor German fellow. And there he was, living his life, and in 1505, the Lord brought against him such a powerful thunderstorm that he fell onto the ground, and like every good superstitious one of us, we we don't know how to pray until there's a semi-truck coming at us, or until our our wife finds out where we've been, uh, how much money we've been spending on on whiskey or shoes, or I don't know, when, when a danger really confronts you, we learn how to pray. That's what Martin Luther did. He wasn't much of a prayerful man, but he fell to the ground and prayed out to his, uh, his patron saint, Anne, and said, Saint Anne, save me, and I swear I will become a monk. And so he did. He, he was training to be a lawyer, but he went on home and he joined the ministry, much to the sh- uh, uh, anger of his own father. He joined the ministry and he started to study. Now, he found out, he found out what maybe he couldn't put words to yet, which was that the word of God had ceased to be proclaimed, and therefore its power had ceased to be explosive through what he knew as the church, the Catholic church. There's just one church back then in in his mind, right? The church, the, the global Holy Roman Empire church headed up by the Pope. He hadn't maybe come to this full orbed understanding yet, but what he was experiencing was that the message of the gospel, which is the power of the word of God, had ceased to be preached. Now, they were, they were chanting certain phrases from the Word of God. They were repeating certain passages of the Word of God. They were, they were in their worship ceremonies. They were teaching certain themes from the Word of God. But the message of the gospel, that God saves sinners by sheer grace because Jesus, His Son, died in their place and rose again, The good news that sinners, unjust, unrighteous, evil, vile though we are, can be forgiven and justified, brought into the kingdom, the family, the the right standing of God by nothing other than faith, believing in the good news of Jesus, believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You, You just believe that. You are saved. That message is the power of the Word of God. And it had been all but entirely done away with. It was covered in, in traditional dust and the, and the continual habits of clergymen and the prelates who had made righteous behaviors of mankind and, and penitential activities that you had to go and do and certain prayers that you needed to pray as a climbing of a ladder up to God's forgiveness. All of that had completely clouded the message of the gospel and therefore the power of the word of God. But it is true. Rome in the antiquity came to find this out. Rome with all of its armies, all of its glories, now ruins, all of its wonderful buildings are now just tourist attractions, right? And just Uncle Betty and Bob just go and take Kodak photos of them now. No longer a world power in all of its glory. It comes down because what Isaiah wrote is true. 
The word of God endures forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. And it remained true that while the church had all but entirely done away with, covered up and eradicated the message of the gospel, God had his plan. He was sending a, 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 a real bull, a, a, re, a real TNT stick, right? Martin Luther with all of his flaws and all of his craziness and all of whatever they would diagnose him with mentally these days, whatever he had, he was God's chosen instrument. And, and while he was in the ministry, 1505, he, he saw the thunderstorm, he promised to join, there he went. And in 1510, he went and visited Rome, right? the, the center of the most holy, glorious church and when he went there, he found no rest to his own anxious soul. He found no confidence in his own forgiveness. And he found no hope in this institution that he called the church. He found debauchery, priests and prelates and teachers going off with prostitutes and getting drunk. He found, on the other hand, nothing but sacerdotalism. That is nothing except the belief that if you do the right things in church as instructed, then you can just walk away, at least crossing your fingers, hoping that your purgatory won't be too long, and one day, in the far, far distant future, you might get out of purgatory and go into the blessings of heaven. That's religion. Sacerdotalism. The sacraments will do their work. Just trust it. And he found no, no confidence in the gospel for himself, no, no hope in what this gospel represented until 15, uh, 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 15 I believe it was, 1515, he's in, he's in the tower and he's studying for his lectures on Romans. This, this, this unsaved, Catholic, but being changed by the word of God, uh, hopeless, feeling like he's going to hell and he even writes down and says, I hate God because he's so righteous and he's going to send me to hell. This guy is lecturing on Romans. And he doesn't have to get that far through that he gets to chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 where he reads that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the non-Jew, to the Greek and the Gentile. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is made known from faith for faith, so that what is written comes to pass, that the righteous shall live by faith. And Luther started to dig in and to study and read the commentaries, and he found the great writer Augustine teaching that it is not only the righteousness of God which rightly condemns sinners, but it is the righteousness of God embodied in the life of Jesus, which then becomes the gift to all who have faith, so that we can be declared righteous by faith. Therefore, what Habakkuk wrote comes to pass. The righteous, those people who will be declared righteous, live by their faith, not their own righteousness. He wrote this as he's studying this and, and it starts to blow his mind. He says, here I felt that I was altogether born again and the very gates of paradise swung open before me. But then it was only two years later. While he had much of his theology still to understand and nut out and clarify. Yet, in 1517, our 506-year anniversary this week, he, he took a list of 95 critiques, arguments, problems that he had with the penitential system. That is, the, the, whole, the whole system by which you could come to church and say, here's my sins, and they send you home with a to-do list. Here's how many prayers to pray, sorries to say, floors to clean. Here's how many saints to make sacrifices to. And often, what it degenerated to in his day was, well, here's just a price point that you can go and offer and your sins will be cleared. 
One of my favorite stories coming out of Tetzel's own life, who was the guy who was going around Germany, ringing a bell, saying, come on, come on, coins in the bucket, your parents get out of purgatory. Come on, come on, souls, uh, coins in the bucket, you'll earn a few years out of purgatory and you'll go straight to heaven when you die. It's all good business, let's get it done. And, and this one guy took Tetzel aside and he goes, are you sure that God has really revealed that, that by, our, by our penitential givings we can have sins forgiven? He goes, yes. He goes, what about future sins? He goes, oh man, I mean, there's, everything has a price. You give enough, future sins are, are forgiven. And this guy, he, he thinks like me. He took Tetzel aside. He beat him bloody. He took the money that he had given, that everybody else had just given, walked away and said, that's what my forgiveness is for. And off he went. Now, now so easily, easily adulterated with, was this system because it was the system of the devil. There was no gospel in it. There was no free grace held out to sinners who find themselves unworthy, welcomed into God's family, into a right standing by faith alone. It wasn't there. So here was Luther banging his letter of protest and argumentation up against the uh, church notice board. And and what historians have said is that this is like a drunk man or, or a blind man. Like a blind man climbing the church, the church stairs in those days, in the middle of the night, and accidentally stumbling, and in his blindness, grasping on to a large rope to gain his balance, not realizing that it was the church bell that just rang loud and woke up the entire county. That's what it was like when Luther did this. He was, he was just itching. He was just asking. He was just studying and sort of approaching this line of questioning. And what he didn't realize was that he was striking the match next to the TNT stores. He was, he was relighting an, an ancient and forgotten lighthouse that would warn all of the judgment of God and point all to the salvation of Jesus Christ. He had no clue that he was getting right to the heart of history, of God's purpose, and everything. But he was. By God's sovereignty and by his providence and by his plan, this is what he was doing. And that gospel message ended up, ended up being clarified and then preached so that reform came at the absolute decisive moments when people had to choose, will we stand with the Pope, the church, the systems, the nations and, and stand over here and say what the church has said is true, what the church has always taught is always what we'll believe, or will we stand on this ever more distancing belief that the Word of God is the authority. Because as every year passed, it became clearer and clearer. You couldn't choose both. You couldn't both stand on the Word of God and what it said and believe what the Catholics were teaching. And so this this decision moment came and and nations and millions of souls and thousands of ministers became uh, separated from the Catholic Church and began to reform the teachings of the church to the glory of Jesus on the basis of the Word of God. The Word of God throughout all of Europe, Germany, Saxony, the the, 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 the Netherlands, Sweden, Switzerland, the the Word of God into England and Scotland and and Ireland to to a degree. All across the known world, the Word of God increased and multiplied. And here we stand. Because of the Reformation, we sit here hearing the Bible in our own language, singing songs that we actually understand, having the gospel proclaimed in a way that we can get it with the free call, come and receive forgiveness without cost, without money, without righteousness, without anything. Come and take Jesus. He's free and he's offered to you from God above. Because of the Reformation, we have the Bible in our language. We have marriage restored to the ministers of God. Hallelujah! I don't have to wear a dress and I don't have to be single. I love the Reformation. And this is what, uh, what Luther said <clears throat> as the, the Word of God had exploded. He said, I simply taught 
preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank good Wittenberg beer with my friends, Philip and Amsdorf, those guys sound like fun, Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. He just wrote letters, lectures, books, preached gospel sermons, lectures, and exhortations, and then had some beer with his mates, had a good German nap overnight, woke up and bit by bit that leaven was so leavening the world that the gospel kingdom was triumphing against all of the demonic hordes. This is because of two things. As we think, why is the word of God so unstoppable? Sort of two angles we can come to it from. On one hand, we consider the unstoppable purpose of God, the promise of God that to his own son, he would create a world that would fall into sin, that he would partake in the nature of, go in, redeem a people by his life, death, and resurrection, and then that God would give to his son a kingdom, a bride, a people, the world under his feet again through redemption. That, that God, since before the foundation of the world, had a purpose and a plan to inject his grace and power into this lost world so that he would establish a kingdom for himself to his glory and judge all of the unrighteous. God has had a purpose. God has had a plan to save and, and not just save and forgive us out of the world, but then recreate and reestablish an eternal world, the new heavens and the new earth in all of their fullness and glory. God has had this purpose since before the foundation of the world. Therefore, what God spoke will come to pass. The plans of God will not fail. That as he said, the, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth just as waters cover the seas. Now, how much of a sea is water? Well, it's not a sea if there's no water in it. All of the seas are, are filled to the brim. Literally, the definition of a sea is that it's filled with water. And so also God has prophesied that in his purpose, what he's going to do is this, make this world so full of his glory, eradicating his enemies and establishing his kingdom in his own providence, sovereignty and timing. Such is the glorious purpose of God. This is why the word of God can't fail, because God has a purpose. But secondly, there's his, his sovereign plan for history and beyond. But secondly, we can consider the word of God itself, that it is infallible. What we mean by infallible is that it does not fail. It does not falter. It does not uh, uh, break or, or, or fall short of the purposes God gives it for. He says this in Isaiah 55, that, that just as rain goes out and it might drown some things, kill some plants, bring to life other seeds and water different animals, the, the water cycle is a, is a symbol, an analogy for the fact that God is always doing something with his word and he's always it is always achieving exactly what he wants. Is that? That God has said infallible is his word. It will always achieve his purposes. But it's also inerrant. Inerrant and perfect and true. Inerrant means without error. There's nothing that you can pick up and read in its rightful context, in its rightful understanding, in the word of God that will ever be proven false. The word of God is true. And to this infallible, inerrant word, this book of writing... God has then invested the power to accomplish his purposes. The word of God has been invested with his unstoppable power to accomplish his purposes. 
1866, there was a man by the name of Robert Germain Thomas. And he felt that the Lord had called him to be a missionary to China and arriving to China and setting up, setting up his life with his wife. His wife perished. She got, she got the sickness and she died. And that was enough for him to give up this calling. To, God had crossed his path. God had put a, a stopping block in his road and, and he concluded, I'm, I'm not called to this. I can't hack this missionary life. A few years later, while he was just working secularly in, in China, he, he had an invitation. This, these few doors of providence opened up that he could help smuggle Bibles into the hermit kingdom, which we now know as North Korea, or Korea back then, the hermit kingdom, that, that he could help smuggle Bibles in. So he signed up and he said, well, I'll, I'll do this. I'll go on the American uh, industrial boat that's just going up the main canal and, and what I'm going to do is throw Bibles off of the ship. That's a tremendous missionary st strategy. And he did. And every time they pulled into, into, into dock, he would meet with these uh, Koreans and so hand out these Bibles. But the Koreans became very agitated at what was happening by these Americans who were, you wouldn't believe it, a little bit arrogant, Right? A little bit prickly and, and ended up ticking off the local Korean consulate. And, and so it was that the Koreans started to shoot. The Americans started to return fire. And, the, and Robert Germain Thomas, this peaceful missionary, was caught in, an, in a, a, a national war. A little battle happening here on the, sh on the ship. And, and he started to hurl his Bibles to the shore, screaming out, Jesus! Jesus! With, with little language, with very little ability to communicate properly what he's doing, there, there it landed on the shores. People started picking them up and he got a, a bundle of them and jumped into the ocean in a knapsack and, and swum over to the shore and as he got there he handed a, a Bible to somebody and said, words of eternal life. It was taken. He was dragged towards the governor. The governor took one look at his little beautifully printed book in his hand and sliced his head clean off. There he was, a 27-year-old, hopeful missionary, dead, lying in the water, bleeding. In 1890, a missionary arrived to Korea as the international relations had somewhat found some peace. He arrived to Korea to be able to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the first places that he went was this, this little town, with a bit of a rocky history, uh, right on this main canal. And he goes into this person's house and he starts telling them about Jesus. And the guy tells him, yeah, I love Jesus. All right, this guy needs to be refreshed. What my calling of God is, I'm a missionary. I'm supposed to be telling you who this guy is. You're kind of stealing my thunder. What do you mean you know who Jesus is? And he tells him, you know, Jesus, uh, part of the Red Sea, walked on water, uh, made water come out of He starts you reciting these stories and accounts of the Bible. And, and here he is thinking, how does this man know I'm supposed to get the glory for being a missionary to the far reaches of the globe? The guy just carries this candle over to the walls of his house because he had purchased the house of the former governor. And that governor, after he had killed Robert Germain Thomas, had taken the Bible ordered that all of the locals bring in their Bibles, no reading of this foreign book, and being pretty, he didn't want to just burn them, he plastered his walls with this beautiful wallpaper called the Bible. And it became a little bit of a tourist distraction for the locals that they would come in and, and look at the beauty and then get close in the dim light and read the words of Scripture. As, as this seed, unbeknownst to them, is being planted in their hearts and planted into the soil, 
right in that same village where Robert Jermaine Thomas had been butchered. This missionary then has the pleasure, after he's found a whole bunch of accidental converts, he goes and baptizes them in the same shawl that their first missionary bled in. This is the power, unstoppable, of the word of God in the world. He has invested in it all of his saving purposes to establish his kingdom. Friends, here's our, here's our closing few questions. As, as we consider the word of God as unstoppable with the power of God for salvation and establishing the kingdom, my question to you is, do you despair? Do you dare despair as you consider the work of God in this world? Because this world is a terribly dark world. It's a terribly uh, uh, disgusting culture we might find ourselves in and, and not particularly worse than any others, though many fresh opportunities afforded by the internet and other innovations. As you look around and see the political agenda and all of those sorts of things, you, you might dare to sin by despairing in God's power in this world. But, but in Revelation, we see this picture. That the word of God is not just a, a letter sent from heaven that, that we sort of utilize, but in Revelation, God gives us this, this vision. That the word of God, as, as Jesus is pictured as this king on a mighty heavenly horse with these enormous hordes of armies behind him marching, and he's just marching through the world. And, and, and out of his mouth, Revelation tells us, is this sharp, two-edged sword of, of fire, the word of God. That when we consider the word of God, we need to think of it as, as that sword of swords belonging to the king of kings, which will be blunted by no philosophy or ideology, that will be broken by no political agenda, and that can be bent by no up upcoming other religion. The word of God is his unbreakable, unbendable, unbluntable sword with which he will accomplish his purposes. Do you despair? Don't despair. And then not only do you despair, but do you, do you invest? Do you invest in this world like, like uh, uh, Frederick the Wise invested? Uh, he was the man who, who, rich in himself, he sponsored and gave much money and opportunity and safety to Martin Luther so that he went from, instead of just being an obsessive, mentally unstable theologian, he became a reformer who had opportunities to change the world. Or, or like the, the Grand Theophilus who gave so much money so that the traveling Dr. Luke could become a, a, a helpmate to Paul the Apostle and recount the, the, the work that the, of the missionaries in what we know as the book of Luke and the book of Acts so that we have the Bible. How amazing the opportunity is that each of us can give money towards, can give our opportunities, can give our, our giftings towards, the sponsoring, the, 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 the funding, somehow getting the word of God into this world through the preaching, the printing, the publishing of his word. For some of you, it will largely be, be, be money and, and assistance. Some of us are called to the preaching of this with your life. How dare we, how dare we walk back and, like Robert Jermaine Thomas, be fearful of the calling that God has put on our life. But step forward. Trust him in faith, for he will establish his kingdom through his word. Not only that we must not despair, and we must invest in the kingdom of God in and through the word of God, but also that we must submit. Do you submit and do you receive this word of God? 
This is the most important thing that any of us can do with the Word of God. It's, it's not enough that you're in a place which teaches the truth. This is what Luther would tell you. It's not enough that you, you've gone to holy lands and touched things or gone to the Catholic Church and, and been able to touch Joseph, Jesus' father's pants. Wow! That you've seen the staff of Moses. That was, that was phony. Or that you, you saw splinters of the cross in the, in the great cathedrals. Didn't happen. It doesn't matter what you've seen, touched, how many people around you are saved, how many times you've heard the Word of God, how many great leather-bound versions of the Bible you have on display on your shelves. The most important thing is have you received the Word of God, the gospel and the message of Jesus dead and risen for sinners. Have you received that as the power to save your soul yourself? Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, God's word delivered through preachers, when you heard the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So this is my question. Have you received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God to save your souls? Have you received it truly? And, and is it in you doing great work? Is it in you transforming you? Has it come into you and made you born again to new life? Or do you pretend that you are one of those un, uh, unreal creatures that, that truly have no existence? You think, I'm one of the ones that I've probably received the word of God. It just didn't change me. No such thing. When the power of God meets you in the gospel, it transforms. Has it come into you? Have you received it? Is it at work within you to bring you to repentance, bring you to holiness, bring you to good works? Is it at work within you? Receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father God, it's a wonderful glorious thing that you you command us to do it over and again in the Old Testament. You command us, recall the works of God. Remember the great things that you have done. Father God, our, our brothers and sisters, our grandfathers and fathers and grandmothers and mothers in the faith for decades, for centuries, and in fact for two millennia have been shedding their blood, sweating and working that the word of God might be proclaimed. And we thank you that we stand on their shoulders. We acknowledge that though we've, though we've received it from men in printed books, or we've received it from men in sermons, or we've received it from humans through history, yet we receive this as what it truly is, the word of the living God, able to save and transform and work your mighty purposes. Father God, please make this church as, 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 as small or weak or poor as we might feel ourselves to be. Would you empower us with your gospel, with your word, that we might do eternal work, that we might build your kingdom. And Father God, I ask lastly that anybody who stands uh, this morning under your judgment, who now sits under the hearing of the word of God, but has not submitted their heart in faith to what it says, who have not repented of their sins and trusted in Christ, would this be the morning that they turn from their folly, they place their faith in Jesus Christ and are saved. We pray all of these things in the great speaker, the great apostle of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, God and Saviour. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. 
This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.